Paul Selwyn Norton was raised in Africa and the West Indies and has been a professional dancer, choreographer and teacher for the past 26 years. As a rather wild and untamed thing, he hunted and gathered his way up to the Bathsheba Dance Company and William Forsyth's prestigious Ballet Frankfurt. As a choreographer, Paul initially worked under the auspices of dance house Corzo in the Netherlands and after a series of successful productions set up his own foundation, no apology, in 2003. These productions then went on to tour extensively in most of the major global dance festivals receiving a range of national and international prizes. Commissions include Bathsheba Dance Company, Frankfurt Ballet, Pretty Ugly Dance Company, Galilee Dance. His Australian works are to be seen at Chunky Move, Stalker Theatre and Strings Attached. Paul taught choreographic practice to both undergraduate and postgraduate students in Amsterdam and Rotterdam Academy of Performing Arts and has worked as a freelance consultant and dramaturge. As director of Strut Dance, Paul has now positioned the organisation to become the National Choreographic Centre based in Perth, Western Australia. Paul is an avid gardener, scuba, dri- uh, scuba driver, scuba diver instructor and writer of children's literature. Paul, welcome. Good afternoon, Ryan. How are you? I'm very well, thank Excellent. you. Excellent. Now, uh, I, I, reading this by on the Strut Dance website, I love the very last sentence. Paul is an avid gardener, scuba diver. Scuba diver instructor and writer of children's literature. And later on, I would like want to talk about those things. Sure. Now, to start the ball rolling, as everyone knows, I studied the, the BPA course at WAPA. And this question is quite a big one for the course, particularly in first year. Okay. So, Paul, in your opinion, what is dance? <laughs> Yes, that is quite an expansive uh, um, uh, question to have to interrogate um, on such a rainy Saturday afternoon. I'll do my best. I'll get a little bit maybe uh, philosophical and, and pull in a little bit of physics. At a, at a subatomic level, everything is dancing. Mm. Um, nothing is still. And if you advance, uh, if you look back at uh, how we viewed uh, our place in the universe before Galileo and and the notion that that, that we moved around the sun, that the actual universe moved around us. Um, Shakespeare termed a a beautiful expression, well, we all hope that it's Shakespeare, it could have been Christopher Muller, of course, Um, the music of the spheres. And that is that the harmony of of the world dancing, the universe dancing around the world, held everything in balance. So the universe is dancing to music. So dance is, is... for me, there is very little difference between dance and, and, and music, if, if, that, if that helps. Yeah, yeah. Sure, of course, it's, it's, it's physical movement, in, 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 it's, it's mechanics in, in space and time, which is itself, you know, it has its own musical expression. But I look at it, I look at it that, that everything, everything is dancing, and we just choose to dance with it in, in certain kind of formulaic events, which might be a ballet class, or it might be running, or it might be step class in the gym, or it might be waving my arms around as I'm talking to you now. That is actually a dancing event. But what is dance? Yes, I, I, I look at it quite expansively. Does that help? Yeah, absolutely. Um, right. Because I, 
In terms of first year, obviously, yeah, for us, what we're taught, like, you cannot restrict dance into, like, a particular genre. Yeah. Like, a codified training, like yeah. tango or... Yeah. It's, or ballet or hip-hop or yeah. whatever, yeah. It's expansive. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, they, they, yeah. Are, they are really intelligent and sophisticated and clever mechanisms to codify movement. Um, and some work very organically and some work very inorganically, as if... Um, Ballet was an organic form. It's not. It's actually a political tool of power created by Louis XIV to actually govern Europe, where he would invite the heads of Europe to his to the Palace of Versailles, and he would put ballets on, and he would sit at the focal point in the dance. Everyone would gesture towards him. If you think of why people spot when they, you know, when you turn and you keep your head focused in one place, yeah. we use it now in ballet and sometimes in contemporary dance to actually keep your balance because it helps with the internal mechanism of your, of your balancing system in your ears and your eyes. Yeah. But actually it was originally created because you cannot turn your back on the king. So the illusion was, is my eyes were looking at you and you were the king, but I'd have to actually turn my body, but then I'd flick my head around and say, oh, you didn't actually see that I turned my back on you, therefore you are still the man in power. So ballet was actually a political tool of, of power. That's amazing. And then that's just one codified form of ballet. And Tai Chi, you know, it's it's not, and Aikido. They're all beautiful, clever systems that are either related to politics or related to universal harmony or or, or, um, authentic movement or just physical training and well-being. Ballet reminds me of, I always have these weird images of, you know, the Soviet Union and the Cold War and, you know, the Cultural Revolution in China. Sure. And I think of, oh, what's that film with that uh, Chinese da- um, ballet dance? Mao's Last Dance. Yes, Mao's Last Dance. He's now, the, you know, he's, the, he's the, the director of Queensland Ballet. Ah. That is Mao's Last Dance. Yes, 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 yes. You should go and interview him, Brian. Yes. Make it so. Well, well yes. What did you want to say about it? Is that because of the rigour and the kind of... Um, yeah, the codifiedness and the rigid practicing and dedicating your life from an from an early age because either you always start ballet at a very very young mm-hmm. age and then you sort of grow up. Um, it's oh. it's you saw one flat thing reproduced in yes, the yes. courtyard. Okay, um, sorry, audience, this is we're going to go into a little bit of a private conversation here, but that was that's basically a part of a bigger show called The Questioning of Robert Scott. Robert Scott, of course, is the English um, Antarctic. Antarctic explorer who failed in his mission to find the South Pole, right? There is no South Pole because the Earth is on a wobble. There is no absolute point of you are at the South or North Pole. Like in ballet, which ballet is the most perfect, if you, if you, if you, if you distill it down, it's the perfect physical form in space. Architectural, physical body. Because we are imperfect, you can never achieve the perfect arabesque, let's say, in, in the perfect architecture. So ballet is itself uh, an aspiration to fail. Mm. Or an aspiration to succeed, but you'll never, you'll never get there. So it's actually inherently about failure. Which is a terrible thing. Yeah. So Robert Scott, the piece of Robert Scott, done by Ballet Frankfurt by William Forsythe, one of the, the most powerful exponents of 20th and 21st century ballet, used the metaphor of Robert Scott and to question the, the, the perfection of ballet. So that whole show is actually about failure. And, and one flat thing we produce, which is like that ice field, yeah. is about the obstacle and the, the sense of trying to achieve. 
it loses that kind of inherent concept of failure. But the ma material that's from the original show of Robert Scott, we learn to extrapolate onto those tables in partners and, and in duos and trios and, and, and um, did some unison work. But essentially, it comes from that comes from that. Um, that source. And what was beautiful about, about Bill's company is no, he would not only have people that were trained from ballet at four. I, I first danced with William Forsyth when I was 35. Mm. And I'm not ballet trained. Mm. I'm hip hop. So I, there were always like 10 or 12 of the people in the company that came like these kind of non sequiturs. Yeah. Kind of just, he loved to throw crazy people into the glass house, which is a way to keep the cohort a little bit more robust and exciting. And that's how you get more questions of. Of, of what actually is ballet and where does ballet fit into the kind of grand scheme of dance. I mean, if you strip away, if you strip away, I mean, he even stripped away the hierarchy. There was no soloist um, 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 uh, and principal, and there was none of, none of that and called a ballet. We were all principals and we were all called a ballet. So, in fact, he kind of messed with the hierarchy of ballet. And if you look at his ballets, even in his early ones, he takes the centre away from the centre of the stage. He likes so you can hardly see what's going on. Yeah. He, he does things that typically challenge the, the kind of codified norms and political power structures of how ballet is, is created on stage. Wow, that was a bit of a departure now, wasn't yeah, it? There you go. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm glad we're really talking about one flat thing reproduced right, because, okay, right. because this somewhat segues into my next question. Oh, not, perfect. Well, not really, but hopefully. All right. Um, I just wanted to say, first off, I really... What was magical for me about that... It, it, when I watched it, it was a wonderful experience because you had... See, One Flat Thing uh, produced... Um, Paul brought one to the... One Flat Thing reproduced. reproduced. Yes. Paul brought it to the uh, State Theatre um, Courtyard. And it was a free event where mums, dads, kids, anyone could come and see this... Um, this uh, well, wasn't the full performance. Well, the full well it is. One Flat Thing Reproduced is only 20 minutes long. Robert Scott's about... The, 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 the revised version of Robert Scott's about three and a half hours. And this One Flat Thing was part three of Robert Scott. But One Flat Thing is always a, is a, is a, is a, is an independent piece of art that he sells to other companies around the world. And the one thing, it created this fantastic atmosphere. There's this... The one thing that I remember from that night was this brilliant atmosphere of people enjoying live theatre. Mm. And I feel like it's a, that's a rarity. Mm. I mean, it served many purposes, that show. Mm. It's, a, it's an end of a three-year uh, relationship with the Forsyth Foundation. It was a performance outcome underpinned by three years of choreographic training and unpacking of the methodology of William Forsyth. And again, that's because of the fact that I danced for Bill and, and I managed to get that um, exclusively in Strut and also exclusively for independence. And so I'm kind of, I mean, I'm kind of extended, extending the kind of finger, fuck you attitude of foresight to ballet by, this, we're not a ballet company. We're not even a company. Yeah. We're a cohort of independents, the hunt and gather, um, yeah. opportunities countrywide, and then are able to access repertoire and training that's normally quarantined to Australian ballet and up. Mm. That's the kind of radical apple, apple turning, apple cart turning over, excuse me, <laughs> mixing my metaphors. It's kind of, again, shape-shifting the model. Yeah. So it was, it, was, it was a fantastic outcome of all of that three years of trust from, the, from um, the foundation that we could do that. It had never been done outside before and never been done in the round and it had never been done with layers of audience up and down mm. and from the corners. Mm. So there was a lot of risk and fun and kind of curating and programming and woo! 
moments happening uh, for me as, as an artist, but the fact that Bill trusted us with that work, normally that's on a, that's on a proscenium stage. You see it front on, curtain opens, bang, it starts. So it was a whole different setup for that show. And the fact that he trusted us with that is testament, I think, and this is a little bit of self-advertising here, a testament to where Strut sits within um, the kind of um, sector of, of how organisations are, are, are functioning in this city, in this state, and in this, uh, this great nation that we, we live and love to serve with great art like this. So it really positioned Strut in an incredible way. It activated that space for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love Fringe, I love the comedy festival, but putting a tent inside a courtyard yeah. is not activating space, it's putting another space within a space. There's no conversation going on with the architecture. For me, the fir- people came to me and said, it's the first time I see this gesture towards this courtyard. Mm-hmm. In fact, if you look at the tables and the fly tower, it's the same, almost the same material. There was a beautiful conversation going on there. There was a phenomenal kind of arena, gladiatorial yes, conversation yes. going on with that focus of the piece. And by the last night, I think I think there were about three and a half thousand people in that show. By the last night, like, there were a thousand people around that space, and the dancers walked out, and it was like being back in you know the, t- <laughs> the, the days of yore. And it went off, and I could see these young kids who who know what they you know they know they're in a Forsyth show, but they kind of also only start to get the inkling of the legacy and the, of what they are actually engaging yeah. in. And Tom Willems was there. Tom Willems is the, is the composer of the music of that show. And Tom Willems plays live, so he's DJing the whole show. It's, a, it's, 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 it's part of the contract, but who cares? I love yeah, Tom. Yeah. I know him really well. He's Dutch, you know, and I lived in Holland for, for 24 years. And he is basically, if, he is the Stravinsky to Balanchine. So basically to have Tom Willems there... That is an incredible honour for everybody. Yeah. And these young things, you know, I'm like, that's Tom you know, I'm like, you should be on your knees. You know, they're like, oh yeah, Tom Willems. I'm like, no, that's like Tom Willems. Yeah. But it's beautiful. You know, you can see that, that they, it's really started to filter down, down the kind of a gravitas and, um, and, and, um, and honour of being able to deliver that kind of product in that space to those kind of people with Tom Willems yeah. being our guiding hand and of course all the fabulous teachers that came out there and, and helped us get that show off the ground and you know this is a plug for the DCA what an amazing amazing gift they gave to us to allow that show to be free because I, you know, I had to earn income to be able to make my yeah. spreadsheets balance because yeah. that's not a cheap show but um, the Department of Culture and Arts, Duncan Lord, um, said, I really want that to be free. Um, try to organise it, but we can be in that state theatre centre because you know, it's, there's been a long conversation about how it's not been activated enough, that space. So it served so many purposes. It served ours as an end of an outcome. It served kind of mine in the fact that I made that show when I was with Bill. That's the last show I created with Bill. So it was a kind of return gift to me. Yeah. Those dancers got to perform Forsyth's work with Tom Rillums. And the, the Department of Culture and the Arts saw the, saw the great a- advantage of allowing us um, to make that a free event to activate that space. So yes, mums and dads and people could walk off the street and go, wow, what on earth is happening yeah. here in this space? And so many people came up to me and said, oh, I didn't even know there was a space here. <laughs> and I went to three parties, right, and three where I sat on a table. No one knew that I was the director of Strat. And, and they were talking about, oh, I was walking down William Street and I heard this noise and I went in and there was this crazy thing with people jumping over tables and then next time I brought my mum down and, and I was like guilty as charged you know happily guilty as charged you know, and, and what was really beautiful and you were talking about communities earlier on is that 
I would stay afterwards and sit at one of those tables and people would go and sit on the tables afterwards and there was like this pop-up community for like two or three hours afterwards um, and if we'd known that we could have made, maybe created a bit more of an event but yeah that was you know, that's all by the by now but I would sit next to I would sit next to people that I didn't know on those tables and they didn't know that you know I curated it and I'd hear like wow how come this happens in Perth we only get this kind of thing during the festival and I feel like I'm in New York and I'm like that is the kind of language that I'm really happy that a show like that can galvanize in a community because yes let's create lily pads of opportunity of this kind of magic outside of festivals i mean fringe and pf they bring incredible work here but kind of the kind of the circus leaves town in march and we're all a bit bereft for a while let's create these other beautiful lily pads so we can hop from greatness to greatness to greatness so there's not this sense of like oh yeah it's march i'm gonna go back to netflix and the doona no you know let's let's have these kind of beautiful events and so I want to. I want to help make Perth proud in a yeah. way. It's like that's what Strut's trying, you know, in its long term arc is is that I can see Strut. Um, sorry, I can see. Excuse me. I can see um, Perth is really striving um, to be a, a kind of cultural capital, and I know that's across everyone's agenda, right up to the minister. And what a great, what a great honour to try to align an organisation to the cultural aspirations of a city itself. Yeah. And I feel that's what we're doing with events like One Flat Thing. That is exactly what we're nailing, and so that's why you know, we're we're we're, we're um, you know, moving forward um, in leaps and bounds. Out of all the capital cities in Australia, hmm. what makes Perth a fertile ground to grow companies? Hmm. I love the fact that you use the word fertile and grow, because as you as you so um, eloquently saw, is I have a, I have a vegetable garden outside. And I don't see any difference between the mandate from what's happening in my garden and the mandate for, for being an organisation that, that mulches the artistic sector with opportunity, because that's what we do. Mm. We bring in these brilliant benchmark wow moments and we, we create very sophisticated, very luxurious, very exciting, magical, pertinent contemporary work to lift the whole sector. So I think... That's what's fantastic about Perth. It's kind of shrugging off its off its kind of name as being being the you know, the, the, the the mining boom capital of Western mm-hmm. Australia, and now it's turning to tourism and culture to also you know to also look at the economic value, and not only the well-being value, but the economic value of that as well. So it's it, it's it's a really brilliant um, uh, dynamic shift of interests and perspectives that Strut has been busy with for the last three years. So again, I see it just as an alignment of interests. We can help make the city more vibrant with what we do. So, and, and Melbourne, Melbourne is, is kind of knows what she is. Mm. I, always, I always think of Perth being a bit of a boys' town. Yeah. Um, Melbourne knows what she is, and Sydney kind of knows what she is too, but Perth doesn't really know what he is yet. Yeah. And he's just kind of shape-shifting and reforming. And, and that, again, that's what a great, what a great excitement and honour to be able to help add my song or add the song of Strut to the voice of whoever Perth will be and there is space and opportunity and yeah I, I feel like a bit of a prospector here you know it's not the gold rush it's not the, the sheep rush it's not the wheat rush it's the culture rush yeah. and I get a rush from being part of all of that and I think that can only happen here in Perth so that's what's, what's fantastic about it for, for me and for an organisation like Strut which is about development I see Perth is developing mm. and I see the fact that we can create this really really um, a kind of upside down model of the fact that we don't we, we have these beautiful performance outcomes that are part of a three-year journey, but there's a whole lot of stuff going on underneath, which is about 
development of the local sector. So it all folds back into the local community because that's, that's what it's about. If I was a company, Ryan, and I was doing One Flat Thing Reproduced or Decadance, which yeah. is the other one we've done, that would cost me hundreds of thousands of dollars in copyright. Uh -uh. I don't have to do that because I'm not a company and I don't tour the work I don't have the onerous, onerous necessity to have to make money from it I don't put it on my repertoire for three years I do it as a performance outcome so I avoid all of that all of that kind of very hefty dollar fee of copyright I deliver it, I produce it but most of that money um, from production is usually raised philanthropically yeah. You know, I go around saying, you want to be part of this journey, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. You know, this is, this is bringing world's best practice to Perth outside of a festival context to create a slew of opportunities across the year. Do you want to, you know, put X amount of dollars in our bank account to help make that happen for you? Because it will come back to you. Yeah. Does that make yeah, any sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I just love the term cultural rush. A cultural rush. Cultural <laughs> rush. We've had the gold rush, now we're having the cultural rush. Cultural rush. Yes, indeed. But that is just, in a way, very clever. But, like, see, I think that's one of the things I'm worried about, like, in terms of copyright. Yeah. And if you are an established company and if, uh, to avoid copyright, you know, either, you know, make your own work or find work that its author has been dead for at least about, I think, sure. 70, 75 sure. years. I mean, I think, I think those pieces are worth that amount of money to have to pay. Mm. But basically, A, I don't have that kind of capital to, to be able to, to, to put you know, in my expenditure spreadsheet. And B, we're not, that's not what we're about. We're not the WA Ballet or Co3 or Sydney Dance Company or Bangara. We're not about seasons of dance mm. four times a year and touring and a full-time ensemble. That's not our interest. I like being a pirate ship. Mm. I work with all these independent artists from all over the country. I mean, if you drill down into it, there are only two contemporary dance companies in this whole country that have a full-time ensemble. The rest are hunters and gatherers, and, and, we're, and they're ruthless at it, which is fantastic. So Strut's program is for them, is for that mindset. So it probably wouldn't, this wouldn't work in Europe. Mm. It works here. It might work, possibly might work in America. Big country Everyone's used to being on the plane, on foot, on the train, doing what they need to do to get their job done. And, and let's face it, young people, and he's bringing out his mobile phone now, young people, young people, for those people that cannot see, um, young people live on this thing. Yeah. And what is this thing about, Ryan? This, this thing is all about mobility and access. Mm -hmm. And we provide access to the world's greatest, but you can keep on the hoof. Mm -hmm. And we will not tie you down. We will not brand you. You are not a strut choreographer. You are your own choreographer and we are resourcing you with the best that the world has to offer. My God, I sound like a salesman. Excuse me. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> well, he is doing one of our workshops, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. So we're slowly reeling this one in because we think he's full of, full of talent. And I just, sorry to take a few sidesteps, but... I think a, a reoccurring theme of the Perfume Chronicles is gardening. Oh, really? For some, yeah, some weird reason, um, previous chapters, people might remember Glenn Hayden. And, and in that chapter, we did talk about the importance of gardening. And I was telling Paul earlier that, um, and I think I might keep this as, as this as like a ritual, a tradition, on Anzac Day. Because <laughs> I started a, as I was saying to Paul, I started a garden bed on Anzac Day. And for me, like symbolically, I felt like there was such uh, one, a wonderful gesture because, you know, we... Yes, Anzac Day is celebrating a, a death in a way, a, 
a defeat, but it's also celebrating honour, comradeship, mateship, and also life, sacrifice. And I thought, I don't know, growing a garden, growing vegetables, I don't know, or plants, whatever, which way you're inclined, is just uh, a, a beautiful tribute. Um, I'm far less altruistic than that, I'm afraid. <laughs> um, it's a coping mechanism, simple than that. I mean, I enjoy the, 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 the majestic indifference of nature. Nature just goes about its thing, doing mm. what it does. Um, that's why you know, I'm very blessed by living on the park and I've got those mac- massive uh, gum trees and eucalypts yeah, yeah. out there and they've been here 250 years and I go, what, you know, and I'm in, I'm in some kind of um, meltdown with an international partner and I look at those trees, literally all, all my Skype uh, meetings will be out on that porch looking mm-hmm. at those trees because I go, that tree has been here for hundreds of years and what does it care for the kind of <laughs> cultural <laughs> catastrophe that I'm just about to get myself involved with? But then bring it down to the, the back garden. Um, as I said, it's a, it's a beautiful coping mechanism because my job and the art sector is, is very dynamic and it's full of holding patterns and unclarity. And yes, all the magic always arrives, but there's so much grey zone. Plants, yeah. black and white, they're going to do what they're going to do. Clear deliverables and you know where the enemy is. Yeah. And that's the first thing I get involved with the garden. The first thing I tidy it up in the morning. And it's usually the last thing I do at night. Because somehow it just settles me down. I have this quite a furore of energy when I'm working to get what I need to get done. And it's just somehow extremely calming just to kind of go out there and just check on the capsicums. See if they're doing all right. And then weed a little bit and plant. I really try to plant every other day. You know, I grow seeds and I might just pop things out because I know they will just go about their way. I don't have to do too much. Whereas in my job, I have to be quite um, uh, uh, entrepreneurial and I cannot miss a beat when I'm trying to get a show like One Pack Thing. You know, there's yeah. so many moving parts to that. But when I come home, I just check on the beetroot and see how it's going and pull a bit here and tweak a bit there. And it's, it's just this kind of majestic indifference of nature just going about doing what it wants to do and it's feeding the family and it's feeding my neighbours so I have a bit of a community thing happening here you know with, with my Italian neighbours on the left and right of me you know we're not in North Perth but we're kind of in sort of North Perth, North Perth here and it's full of uh, beautiful it's old Italians that still have that tradition of having the front in the front lawn as, as their vegetable garden so I, I took inspiration from them so it's nothing, yeah. you know, nothing so <laughs> profound and, 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 um, and uh, this grander gesture that you're talking about with, um, with your uh, Anzac honour. It's, it's really just something quite private and calming and more zen-like, I think. Private. Yeah, gardening is definitely so private. Such a private yeah. activity. Yeah. And it's very, it's very delicate, you know, and I have quite a rough, wild energy and it just somehow brings me back down to that, that other level and just, just watching stuff happen on a very slow pace you know, it's beautiful it's really beautiful I never thought I'd stick it out my husband never thought I'd stick it out but it's really important to me it's yeah. really important now this one is quite interesting because I'm referring back to the last sentence gardener mm. oh, now, yeah. writer of children's literature <laughs> who what why and how <laughs> oh it's basically um, when I lived in Holland it was uh, I, 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 I love the puzzle of working stuff out. I mean, working a garden out, working a business plan out, working a choreography out. It's all systems of puzzles. Mm. And um, we have a very great form. You would have it in, in Australian poetry as well, limerick form. Ah, right? yes, okay. yes, 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 so yes. So I thought I couldn't master a language until I was able... I, this is just a kind of... I imposed it upon myself. 
I would not be able to master a language until I could do the limerick form in that language. So I forced myself to, to, to create 20 limericks about, about escaped animals in Dutch for children. Oh. So I created this story of a zoo that, 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 that the animals escape and they run all over Holland and they set up little, little kind of cohorts and, and in around Holland and it's about how that, that animal relates to that city. And how, what, it, what it's done to that city. So yeah, it was, it was a, and it's really tricky. The limerick form is really tight and very, very um, rigorous. And to pare down another language, and the Dutch, you realise, is all back to front. It's, it's, and because it, it had to be good Dutch, not, not, yeah. not gebroken Nederlands, as we call it, broken Dutch. It had to be really, really exquisite Dutch. So it was really like refined Swiss watchmaking. To create those, to create those limericks. So yeah, they were for children. So and I got, and I got an illustrator. And, yeah, beautiful. Wow. It's about to be published. So we, we haven't got oh, there yet. <laughs> yes. So I'm very excited about that. Yes. So Dutch, that language is very interesting because I'm just geography. I'm trying to remember. So because you got France and then you got Belgium. Belgium. It's, next, got, it's between Belgium and Germany. Ah, okay. So it's still on the coast. It still has its own northern coast. So it goes France, Belgium, Holland, or the Netherlands, yeah. and then um, and then um, Germany, then Scandinavia. I'm trying to think, is Dutch, is it a Germanic language? It's a Saxon language. Saxon. It's one of the interesting languages because obviously you've got that in. I remember years ago, um, I, was at, I was doing this job at the, uh, oh, goodness, um, having a blank, uh, the Forest Centre in the Perth CBD. Yeah. Because um, as people might know, I work part-time in construction. And I was chatting to this um, South African bloke and would, because as you know, um, the Dutch, yeah, yeah. Afrikaans. I, I, I understand people, we can talk to each other. Dutch people, I can speak Dutch and I can talk to people speaking Afrikaans. So it's the same language, really. It's a very different dialect. Yeah. And anyway, I just, yeah, Dutch is one of those. Not a very useful language, right? I can talk to people, in, uh, I mean, if I was, you know, born again, it would be Spanish or, 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 um, or uh, uh, um, Arabic. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably, probably a Cyrillic language like Russian, and and of course uh, Mandarin. Yeah. I think if I could, if, if a kid can get his head around those, it conquer the world. You know, Spanish, Arabic, Mandarin, and a Cyrillic language like Russian and English, of course. Yeah, yeah. Sorted, mate. <laughs> I was. Uh, here's a good seg- Here's a perfect yeah. segue, ladies and gentlemen. I was working as an assistant scuba diver instructor in the Middle East, nice. and um, there was a, a, a Japanese man married to a to a Bedouin lady, and they had a little kid that could speak. Arabic, Japanese, English, and kind of bits of Spanish. And I was like, you are just going to be the president of the universe. Yeah. You are, you know, a fool. I'm going, flip, 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 into all these languages. And I was like, whoa, man. And of course, you don't have that here in Australia yeah. so much because you're not really exposed to no. so many different languages. But, you know, Mandarin, I think, will be something that... I mean, I've seen that kids... Some, some, some Mandarin's in school curriculum, isn't it? Oh. And it's an option somewhere down the track. I think it is in year... Mandarin. I think you are a Mandarin because I'm trying to remember when I was in high school it was Indonesian oh, yeah. and Italian. Yeah, and I went Italian because well, my dad's Italian, his yeah. family's Italian, so I went there. I mean, if um, you're speaking yeah. Dutch, you can you can. There's a certain few islands, of course. It's the old um, um, Dutch um, Empire in Indonesia and of course mm. in South America and then and South Africa. That's probably the usefulness of that language during because the old, old yeah, yeah, yeah. You're trading out the spice, mm, yep, spice roots yep, and yep, yep. what have you. I'm trying to think, I'll say India. No. No, it's not. No, no, not. No, no, no. We had to ask my husband. But, um, <laughs> he would know. No, not India. It's really Indonesia. Mm. Um, Indonesia. 
and, um, and, and Suriname. Now, we were talking about uh, before uh, Paul, well, he was behind the Move Me Festival, <laughs> which brought um, all these uh, independent uh, strut dance, um, Co3, Co3, all these uh, independent um, uh, dance companies for a, a gigantic festival. And I was f- really, really happy to watch... Uh, Decadance. Decadance, By yeah. Ohid. Ohad Nahari. Ohad Nahari. Yeah. Um, otherwise known as Mr. Gaga. Mr. Gaga, indeed. I mean, there's a documentary called Mr. There Gaga. Is. That... There is, indeed. We actually showed it for oh. three nights during the same... Just before. Oh. You blew it. You didn't see it, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a really useful lens to watch, mm. that, watch that film and to contextualise his work. Because, you know, he's not, he's not just beginning. He's been around for 35 yes. years, 35, 40 years. So the guy knows what he's doing. And he's come out of the Martha Graham company and, you know, moved to New York. And, and so it was really great to contextualise um, the work. But we also did it to show the dancers that were in that show who had been doing the training for three years, literally where that voice had come from, mm. historically. And it was really beautiful how it informed the work as well. Yes, but sorry. I no, 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 no. Please don't apologise. Well, simply, what is more nerve-wracking, organising a large festival or a rehearsal room of a newly devised theatrical work? This is a really interesting, really very pertinent question because we've been, Strut's been around for four years and the largest performance outcome in that programme um, uh, to date um, was Decadance because it was a 55 minute show and it was within the context of a festival but it was an easy delivery because I knew what the show was it was a perfect audience development strategy you saw it right yes. yeah, so yeah, there's yeah. a whole section yeah. where the audience goes up on stage yes. and it's like you are one of us brothers and sisters which just makes everyone just and it's a beautifully very clever show very celebratory beautiful dancing fantastic lighting and then there's that section where yes. everyone gets up on stage and goes nuts so I knew that would win us votes. And then it came to one flat thing reproduced. And there was a lot more risk around that. But it was a free event. So I didn't have that stress which I had in the movie festival with ticket sales. Yeah. I di- and we had sold out shows. So that was yeah. great. But with one flat thing, I didn't have that stress. The stress for me was where people were going to get interested in it. Mm. It's not a warm, effusive piece like Decadence. It's quite cold and ruthless mm. and chilly and, and machine-like. But people loved it. And... I got the bug for programming. I was like, this is what programming is. This is what it's like to program a, like programming a festival at yeah. PF or Sydney, Sydney Festival level. I got really excited about that. And now, of course, we were busy with Punch Drunk and Maxine Doyle. And um, we just had our second workshop showing of that. And Maxine really jumped into it. And that's got a, a heaps of momentum. But I was w- beautiful momentum. Um, I was watching the, the, the showing and I got really anxious. And I was like, I was watching it. Th- I wasn't watching it through. I'm sure you have it as well. I wasn't watching it through my eyes. I was watching it through the eyes of my chair and the eyes of the dire- artistic director of Black Swan who was there. And mm. all the, les- all yeah. the hunters were there. And all these incredible people were there. And I couldn't experience it as Paul the artist, Paul the programmer, Paul the person. I was experiencing it in everybody else's eyes. And I realized, oh, yeah, there's not 20 tables out there. There's not 60 decadence chairs out there. This is a new creation, Paul back off and I realised it's because I didn't know what goal I was shooting towards so I found that really nerve wracking like, and then I realised you're just out of your comfort zone you know, you've, been, yeah. you've been delivering known deliverables and now you're shooting for the stars in a different way so I, I kind of <laughs> I mean I did it myself so I really got myself to blame 
Actually, no, that's a lie. I haven't got myself to blame. I've got Dean Lincoln Ryan to blame because well, not even him. If you look at if you look at the the, the training programs that we do, it's it's a lot about dancing. I mean, lots of physicality, and, but it comes from form and and expression. It doesn't come from sight specificity or character or text, which is what Maxine Doyle and Punch Drunk's work does. Mm-hmm. So we were missing about thirty percent in our business about what we could do in terms of training. So I just pitched it to some members and said, look, what are you missing? They said, we want punch drunk, we want something to do with physical theatre. So, and then I saw Fran's, Fran, yes, Fran Bar, yeah, Bar's um, training programme at, at WAPA, the Bachelor of Performing Arts, and I thought, wow, there's a whole slew of incredible people coming out there that Strut could cater to if we put this programme into, into our Master Workshop series. So that's why that all happened. And, and, the, and the show that we'll do with Maxine next year will be a completely new creation with actors, with BPA kids, yeah. with, with other, you know, it's not just a dance piece, it's a real hybrid. And that's exactly what we need strategically and artistically at this moment after having done Decadance, one thing. But on the other side, there's all the fantastic work that all the independents are making themselves. And we're very hands-off about that. You know, as I said, you're not a strut choreographer when you come to work with strut as a choreographer. You are an artist, and we will try to facilitate you mm-hmm. um, to the best, the, best, the best of your interests. And so uh, we have this in-situ program, which used to be a studio program called Shortcuts, and I pushed it out the door and said, look, guys, we don't need to constantly be in the hot house of the studio. Let's do something outside. And we, have its fourth, we had just had its fourth iteration. Um, it's kind of... Early days of site-specific yeah, yeah. interrogation, and we just did it in the cathedral, and we did it in partnership with Tura. Um, they come on Tura New Music have come on board as so they throw the whole model at composers, and it's really got traction. And that kind of makes me nervous, but that makes me excited because really that's what our mandate is. Our mandate is about giving you composers, choreographers, light designers, designers the tools in which to create, work, collaborate, and make new innovative work. So I see. I see, yes, One Flat Thing is a, great, is a great show, but it's an aspirational model. It's not what we're here to do. We're here to inspire you, equip you, and then for you to go and make original, authentic, beautiful Australian dance theatre work. Yeah. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I feel like here's a taste of something that is um, something established, mm. taste of the establishment. Now go, now go and make... If you can that, or or some not not exactly that, but to the success, or just or, to the just just to the the the, the level of excellence mm. and, and craftsmanship is about craft, yeah. Um, and and you know that we get into a lot of argy bargy, um, you know, and it's great robust conversations with other organisations and and just independent artists that go, why are you resourcing these incredible performance outcomes? We could be resourcing this, this, and this, and it's exactly that, Ryan. It's about allowing someone to travel three years through the brain and the body and the methodology and thought and process and ideas of, of the greatest exponents of contemporary dance the world has ever known. Mm. And you get to travel through that and learn and beg and borrow and steal, you know, and then come out, hopefully come out with your own thing. Now, my, my, great, my greatest hope and greatest wishes is that somehow through engaging in some of, some of these great programs that Strat has is, is that it will create the next Gideon Obazanek or Lucy Garen or Gary Stewart or Anthony Hamilton or, or Stephanie Lake. Mm-hmm. All those brilliant Australian um, artists that have, that have really shifted the, the paradigm of contemporary dance in this country. And um, it's a really long burn. It's like a garden. 
It takes time to get the soil right, to get the correct seeds, the good lighting, the right mulch, to get it right. And it, you know, it might not work, yeah. but, but the, let's just go on that journey. Let's be responsive to opportunity and try to make things happen. I know it will work, but <laughs> it is working. I've seen already beautiful development in people, which maybe my trained eyes can only see, but... And just in terms of audience development, and that wasn't one of our original strategies. Our original strategy was artistic development. But I see we're somehow caught up in this beautiful slipstream since One Flat Thing Reproduced. Mm. Just, as I said, sitting amongst those tables and hearing people talk about how, wow, I thought I was in New York. And I turned to that person and said, no, you're not. You're in Perth. And Perth is just as deserving. Yeah. Don't belittle Perth. Perth is just as deserving of this level of excellence as any other major capital city in the, in the world. So it's about changing people's perception of, of, their, of themselves, of their culture, of their city, of their state. It's, a, it's about just slowly shifting that language, like the language of a garden. It slowly mm. shifts the soil, the, the architecture of a space. It's, all, it's, you know, it's, not a, not a, it's not a hit and run uh, mm. uh, process. I might be hit and run as a character. Meow, <laughs> 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 boom. But... You know, that's what's great. Gardening slows me down. You know. <laughs> my board slows me down. My staff slows me down. <laughs> uh, ah. Yeah. What does improvisation mean for you? What, for me as an artist or me as a, as yeah, a, as a, a strut director or me as a, as a, as a citizen of Perth? Well, well, I, I contextualise yeah, a, yeah, yeah. a little bit for me. As an artist. Obviously, this is sort of in regards to in relation to, while we're on the subject of strut dance... The new um, master shop, um, master shop, master workshop series um, that it, that is coming in August with um, Humphrey Bower and Andrew Morrish. Yeah. Um, well, Andrew was a was a great mentor of mine. Um, I saw I know him for 10, 10, what am I? I know him for fifteen years. Um, I saw him do a show um, in in um, the performance space when it was still when it wasn't part of um, Carriage Works. And um, it was this beautiful little theatre. Excuse me, I can't forget. Terrible, sorry, I can't forget where that space was. It was um, in, in, in Sydney. And um, he did, a, he did a, a beautiful solo. And I thought it was completely scripted. And then I said, no, no, the guy's an improviser. I went, no, 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 that was totally scripted. And I came back the next day and it was a, it was a whole other show. And I was, wow. It's like watching someone who is... Through all his experience, as because he was a teacher originally, and he used to work with, you know, he started in, in, in working in medical institutions with disabled children. So he's come out from that, taught mm-hmm. himself, worked with Al Wonder, you know, another brilliant improvisation teacher. It's like watching someone who is his own really sophisticated librarian, yeah. but he's got like eighteen arms and he's pulling out all this resource in front of you, and then he just learns to collate it and make a great show. And I would go. I was like, I have to understand. I, again, the puzzle man came out of me. Yeah. I have to understand how that works. And so I kind of became his, I kind of became his, his, his Eliza Doolittle for, for, for three years. And we actually ended up making a show called My Fair DJ. Well, it actually was, we kind of unpacked our relationship. Um, we both actually became our Alfred Doolittle, you know, um, Eliza Doolittle's father than that. Sorry, we're going way off track here. But George Bernard Shaw and, you know, all the Pygmalion, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, He's just a, a genius in, in empowering um, any kind of performance artist with an incredible array of tools. Mm-hmm. Improvisation, so it's, it's instant composition, but not just movement composition. It's, it's text and, yeah. and, and character and situational. He's really good at creating situation. 
by a series of, of really strong interrogations about where you are, what you're doing, how you're delivering it, what is your relationship and proximity to your audience. Mm -hmm. Andrew loves his audience. He will foreground, unpack what he's doing and then make that relationship also part of the show. And it's like watching someone peel and unpeel and strip down and, and then suddenly jump out of that character and set up something else and then go to the audience and fold that back in onto stage. It's an incredible magician. And then you've got someone like Humphrey Bauer, mm. brilliant actor, great writer, really sharp mind. And they met in um, the Movement Improvisation Festival, which I curated in 2014, and they fell in love. So I just thought, well, let's just, let's just empower this love affair and get, <laughs> get some actors and dancers in there and just, just, you know, I'll turn off the lights and just make it all happen. You know, I'll, give, you know, I'll supply the soft focus and the cushions yeah. and let's make whoopee. Um, so that's really what it's about. It's about Andrew, he's incredibly generous. Yeah. He, will, he will give you everything he can in terms of his toolkit because he knows you're not him. Mm. He'll ultimately empower you with those universal tools, help you refine them, and he'll just make you a better you. And what a great gift that is. So I think, I'm not going to say, what do I think of improvisation? That is one model of improv. That's one, that's one phenomenal uh, tool of empowerment. Forsyth also uses improvisation that came out of learning to deconstruct ballet by using a Laban notation. Um, mm. And then um, he, put, he extrapolated that notation system onto any form of dance, folded that back into ballet, and gave, um, it, we had a kind of manual, which then became a CD-ROM called Improvisation Technologies. If you haven't looked at it, look at it. Um, it's, and then that's basically, that's Forsyth 101. He's gone far from there. And then you'll look at how Punch Drunk use, um, use their system of improvisations about body states, yeah. and you've got um, um, body mind centering. You know, there's all these phenomenal tools of, uh, tools of, 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 of looking, listening, extrapolating, directing. You know, it's all those systems of where am I, what am I, how can I, how can we, how can you, how can they look, listen, interpolate, extrapolate. And um, it's, it's, it's all really the same thing, but it all comes from just different, different entry points. And uh, also, if you listen to something like, um, or listen to someone like Emmanuel Gatt, who makes highly choreographed work, he works improvisationally, but he works with the whole room. I mean, mm. Bill does as well. Actually, most people work with the whole room, but how he creates, or how he talks is really beautiful because he uses the whole room as a kind of hive mind of creativity and resources them and he's constantly saying why would I use one hard drive when I've got 13 yeah. hard drives out there as a power tool to create work and, and his movement comes from improvisation and Bill was the same there'd be like 52 of us improvising off of one theme eight cameras in the room everything would get filmed you're, you're contractually you'd have to go home go onto the server find the camera where you could where you were most prominent and literally inscribe what you were doing so he could use it as a resource later. So he has this incredible, it's called Motion Bank, yeah, this incredible bank. resource of years and years and years and years and years and years of, 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 of Forsyth, first Frankfurt Ballet, but Forsyth um, 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 company dancers talking and, and inscribing about what they're literally doing in that space. And he was brilliant at that. See, I only know those methodologies. And Gaga is also a, a tool, an improvisation tool, and it's codified. They all have their codified, mm -hmm. codified uh, ways of, uh, of, of and language that, that, that is kind of positioned around those codes. Does that help? So I yeah, 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 what, is, what is important about it. But ultimately, and I love the way Maxine uses it, 
she will come out with a line, she'll come out with a, with a score or, 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 a, or an assignment and she'll go, play. And it's that playfulness, the sense of playfulness. And play can take you into the dark as well as it can take yeah. you into the light. But she doesn't go, oh, and dance or and act or, or create something on the diagonal. She goes, play. Yeah. That's the one word she will use. And I think it's great. And for me, well, for me, improvisation, how I first met Paul was last year and he did lead us through um, improvisational techniques. For me, improvisation is the quickest access to truth. For me, it was the quickest way I could go truthfully, I could truthfully perform. Although there are some techniques of you create lies, you can definitely lie. Mm. But I know, I, I know, this is for me, I know there's something, like, it's not fully fledged uh, thought of, or, or I don't know, essay or something, but there's just, for me, yeah, it's just, imp- you always come from a place of truth. I think I would, I would take, I mean, truth is a, is a very powerful word. Mm. Um, I would, I would, I would just, potentially replace it with the word present present i yeah. think i think it just accesses the present present yeah whether that's a truth or a complete falsehood i think it just it just put, it just pulls you into the now mm. and then you just have to own it or and disown it <laughs> but that's also being in the now i think it just it forces you encourages you invites you let's say you can't strong arm people to improvise i think it, i think it just invites you into the now Ooh, how is that for er- er- erudition erudite how is that? How is that for? How is that for the essence? Essence of the of, of the of improvisation, which just pulls you, invites you into the now. And some people, are, that's all that they do. Like Michael Schumacher, who who, who came out of working with not the racing car driver. Um, uh, God rest his soul. No. no, is he still with us? He is. Okay. Um, Michael Schumacher, the choreographer and dancer and brilliant artist, is also thank goodness still with us. He came out of working with Bill, and you had two years uh, with Ballet Frankfurt. And now it's probably one of the greatest exponents of, of improvisation. Or he likes to call it instant composition. Instant, uh, instant composition. Um, and uh, yeah, genius. Nice. Absolute genius. And that's how he performs. He, you know, that's how he performs, he creates. You know. That's also how he does movement uh, uh, for Peter Sellers, the opera, opera director. So you know, he does all those really high-fluting gigs as well as really cool little kooky Japanese um, retreats for... Fantastic, you know, little dancers just come at graduation. So, you know, I love the way Michael operates. He's a riff. I always think that I'm a pirate, but man, that's a real pirate. <laughs> that's like Johnny Depp to the maximum. <laughs> He's the real pirate, Michael. Did you ever have a career plan? Yeah, I wanted to become a doctor. Ah. Oh. Um, and that soon got waylaid. So, before I went down that route, I, I ran off to Amsterdam with, with uh, yeah, breakdancing. I was always breakdancing. Mm. And, um, I got spotted at this discotheque and given the opportunity to, to audition for a company, uh, Cloud Chamber in Amsterdam, and I thought I'd do it for a year. I got the gig. I thought I'd do it for a year. I did it for two years and then I never went back to medicine. Um, and then I realized I was kind of in this, I was in, the, in I had to school myself because everyone could dance better than I could. I could dance, but I couldn't dance. And I wanted to dance because I saw things. I was living in Amsterdam and I saw Anna Teresa de Kiersmark and Rembrandt de Kaivers and Ballet Frankfurt and Bacheva Dance Company, all these incredible people who could really dance. And I was like, I want to do that. I have the capacity to do that. Now I just have to learn. I was given incredible opportunities as a young man. So I, I was really ruthless about putting myself at the front door. But yeah, yeah, you know, the, the, the occupant of any house has to invite that person into their house. And I just got jobs because of 
people seeing me on stage. So it's really accidental. So it's a beautiful uh, question, Ryan. Thank you. I have a kind of really idiosyncratic way that I've kind of got into this whole art industry. Mm. It's always been incredible feats of, of, of leaps of faith and then backfilling my skill set. Like even with Strut, I had no idea about running a business because there's, there's a lot of responsibility and and business vernacular and, 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 and understanding and strategy that, that goes around running an organization. And then there's being an artist. So to find the, the, the happy medium. And it was, it, it was, what a gift. I mean, you know, now I know how to write an executive summary and a business plan. I, I had no idea what key performance indicators, what's a key performance indicator? How do you write, you know, um, a SWOT analysis? <laughs> no, no bloody clue. And I'm naturally strategic and I've got heaps of passion and it just took my great board and a, some, a brilliant consultant, June Morehouse, if you're any, ever in trouble, ladies and gentlemen, with anything from a car mechanic to you know, running, running the, the, the federal government, phone June and she'll rescue you. Brilliant, brilliant consultant. She sat next to me and helped me understand the language and play and politics of running an organization. And um, what a gift, really, what a gift. So, yes, I, I wanted leadership, but I never thought I'd get this job. And yeah. then this opportunity enabled me to completely empty my heart and my history into the sector because I just poured my relationship with Forsyth, my relationship with Rahim Naharin, and my relationship with Crystal Pye and Oliver Schechter. Um, Maxine Doyle and Punch Drunk is the only cold call in the program, right. if you understand what I mean. Yeah, I didn't yeah, know yeah, that yeah. beforehand. I had to kind of go to London and go... Can I meet you, please? And then they sent me off to New York. How terrible was that? To see the show. And I had to like write a, write a report. Like, like I felt like I was back in school. Right. To get, to, get, to get in through the front door. And then I was allowed through the front door. And then I could negotiate. Because I didn't really know what we would do. They didn't really understand. Yeah. And that's pretty much every, everyone that comes to me goes like, yeah, I'm, okay, you've worked with Forsyth. And so yes, that's fine. It's great that we're here. But what really is it? And then they do it and they see. And they see all these incredible artists come from all over the country to touch that work. And then the penny drops, and then they go, good thing, this is a good thing. Mm. So I'm really fortunate to be involved in a good thing. Speaking about good things. <laughs> More good things. What quality is needed to be a successful performer? And I noticed you said before the word passion. I think generosity, and a very intimate understanding of your, of your skills, and a fluidity with your skill set. But I think at the heart of it is, is the desire to communicate. And if you're not generous with, your, with, with that, then the, the, the story stops. Then it's just a monologue. I think even if it is a monologue in front of an audience, it's a dialogue. Uh, so I think, generos I think generosity is the key. Bill would also always say to us, you know, it's the keys in your hands and how you use your eyes on stage. You can kick your leg and turn 50 pirouettes. I don't give a shit. If you're not generous as a dancer, get off the stage. It's about that capacity to look at it this way. Um, an audience comes to watch a, a piece of live art and it's coming from a, it's bringing its context. Mm. 500 contexts will be there. A piece of art is also a, a kind of beautiful entrapment of body, space and time. And that is also a context. So two contexts collide when the lights go down and the curtain opens. And when those two contexts collide, that's where art happens. Mm. And that has to be done with a spirit of generosity from an, an audience that's paid 50 bucks or just coming with a sense of curiosity and a dancer that realises that the bridge has to be crossed. Mm. And, how, and we all open it in different ways. 
I, I always love watching dancers, dancers prepare to go on stage. Of course, I, mean, I can talk about dancers because I've been around, yeah, yeah, around yeah, with them yeah. a, lot, a lot. Some people are really, really like to go through all their steps beforehand on stage in the position with on stage mm. as they're doing it to kind of locate themselves in the real world. Yeah. Some people are out in the bar smoking and just want to discover it when they're there. And they all that, and some people need to completely control it on stage. So it's actually about my world is so chaotic and the real world is so wild and furious. The stage is where I can only exist where it's a controlled environment. Mm. And some people, it's the complete other way. They need to lose themselves within the poetry of the choreographer. And I find that absolutely fascinating, <laughs> endlessly fascinating. Why people do this crazy thing called dancing? <laughs> Does that help? Yeah. No. Generosity is the key. Ah, well, mm. I was thinking about, uh, well, from that keyword generosity, mm-hmm. and I think you pretty much answered this question, but I'll, I'll say for the sake of it, mm. from all your travels, mm. what is one lesson that keeps reoccurring in your mind? Um, when I um, I'll, I'll, I won't answer it with words. I'll answer it with an experience. Um, I, I've known Ohan Naharin for more than half my life. Now I'm 52, so I've known him really 27 years. Um, he's the artistic director of Batsheva Dance Company. He was here in 2014 with Batsheva in the Perth International Arts Festival when we launched our whole three-year program with him and Gaga and um, and Decca Dance. He decided he wanted to come to the studio to teach. So it was an incredible honour for those kids mm. to get the, the real deal yeah. in there. I mean, they're, they're all the real deal. All the Gaga teachers are amazing. But that was Ohad. And of course, these people had never met him. So he came and he taught. And he sat next to me to start with. And so he was really sitting next to me. He had his hand on my leg. Just, he was just being chummy. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and he was singing the music, Black Milk, while they were learning this section of Black Milk. In the room was Guy, were Guy, Shamroni and Rachel Osborne, two of his brilliant exponents of his work and his teachers, who he loves. And they're maybe 30, I'm 50, I had 60-something. Yeah. And then Rachel and Guy were out there teaching. Jane Smulders, who then would, she's the ex-principal ballerina of WA Ballet, yeah. 39, standing next to a 19-year-old. He was in his second year at VCA. Brilliant guy, yeah. Harrison, Harrison, Richie. There was that legacy and there was something about the energy that O had singing with his hand on my leg. The love threw him, threw me into Rachel and Guy, the next generation, into Jane, a generation over there, because she had worked with him in NDT, in Netherlands Dance Theatre, worked with Ohad, and then down to this 19-year-old. So much love yeah. and so much generosity and, and poetry. I felt flow through me and through them, and through him, and through her, and through the... Right down to that 19-year-old. And I just thought it's all about passage and legacy. Yeah. That's all that it really is about. And what... And I, I sat like pretty teary, I have to say, Ryan, going, if strut can be anything, let it be this. Let it be this. That this, this journey of great art travels from the man himself through me, through them, through her, through him, into that person there. And that's, that's, that's the real deal for me. So yeah. I, I went, we're good. Even though we just started that love house <laughs> program, I was like, we're good here. This is good. So I think if I've learned anything is that you cannot hold onto it. It passes through you. And let it so. Let it pass through you. And that's the beautiful nature of dance. It's, it's, it's fleeting. Mm. 
You know, we are we are caught up in our entrapment, our beautiful entrapment, which is our you know, our physics, which can't execute at that level for the rest of your life. So just 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 let it go. And I like to hold on to things. I'm the puzzler. So, you know, it's been really interesting stepping out of performing and becoming an agency. And that's what a gift. Again, I'm allowed to release that from my body, but I'm also allowed to pass greatness through me. So I just feel like I'm part of a great line of agency, if that yeah. makes any sense. And that's an incredible honor. Because before that, I, was, I had all this information inside me. and I, was, I really felt like very top-heavy. And then Strut arrived, and I was really like, wow, the universe has offered me this opportunity to let go. Yeah. To let it go. And so I just felt karmically responsible to just pay back all the love and all the risk William Forsyth and I had taken in, in, by offering me their, those opportunities way back when. Let it be the agency. Let it pass through you. Be the transformative catalyst. Let it pass through you. And that's an incredible honor and brings me existential joy. Really does brings me existential joy. Bloody headache at sometimes too. As I said, I just go out there. <laughs> no, dealing with the Israelis and the Germans, it's a whole different conversation, you know. Because it's Middle Eastern people deal with contracts and conversations, and in a very different way than Germans. You know, German organization runs bills work. It's really, you know, I think I have a I have a PhD in cultural diplomacy after running this organization. Anyway, moving right along. Africa. Oh yeah. Europe. Asia, mm-hmm. do you consider yourself a global citizen? I'm blessed that I've had the opportunity to grow up on the move. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father was an international banker and he moved us first to South America. I think I was conceived there. That's my understanding anyway. Um, grew up in Africa, then in the West Indies. Um, so, I'm in it, but educated in England. So I have a very Anglo-Saxon you know, education, quite mm-hmm. men, you know, British mentality. But I love this kind of tropical lilt, and so Australia is kind of a that it's it's kind of it's totally understandable. I kind of I'm, I, this 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 veneer of Britishness that's here, but underneath is this wild, feral, mm. grand gesture of everything that's indigenous, from the mm. landscape to the people to the energy, and I love that beautiful collision. I love it. Um, so I'm going right off the track no, of the no, question. No, that's, that's um, I think I think what that's given me is um, is an incredible adaptability and resourcefulness to be resilient. You now the art sector is very fluid and it shifts and changes with the weather, especially you know given what the Australia Council has been through, changes of government, changes of federal government, left, right, centre, now changes of local government. What's going on? You know, the city council. It's, it's it's never stable. And I think if you if if I've learned anything from being the director of Strut is be adaptively resilient. And mm. that is the furnace I was born in. That was my education. So it's, 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 it's been really interesting to go, oh, oh, I just shift and shake and move over here because mm. of that. Oh, I have to camouflage that part of my body to shift and shake and move over there. Mm. Because the, you have to, it's a dance. It's really, when people go like, what's your job about? I say, yes, it's, I'm a da- it's a dance organization, but I am dancing all the time. I, you know, when I speak to the, the, the director general of the Department of Culture and the Arts, it's a dance. It's a political, artistic dance. It's mate. It's matey. It's funny. It's chummy. You know, he swears more purple than I do. Um, but you know, you're all. Everyone's dancing with each other's interests. And if I can, if I can serve your interests and move strut forward, then let it be. So let's get into that tango. Let's be responsive. Let's not worry about the one, two, three, one, two, three of the world. Yeah. So let's tango. You know, it doesn't have to be so prescribed. 
And that's what I love about the state. It's not prescribed yet. I don't feel like I'm having to go along the normal pathways and avenues to get struck to where it can even flourish even more. And so, as I said, it's about being a pirate ship and, and again, being that little boy sent, sent at five and a half to boarding school. I don't see any difference. I do not see any difference. It's about being adaptive and seeing opportunity and running, running with it. But now I just don't run, it, run, run with it as, for my own interest as an artist. I'm really granted the opportunity to run with it in terms of a development of a whole sector. And that's an incredible, beautiful gift and an honour. Mm-hmm. And I fucking love it. <laughs> Second last question. Oh, no problem. Because I just say, we are almost at time, but that's not right. yet. Was there a point where you thought, stuff the arts... I'm going to be, mm. you know, uh, I don't know, banker, zoologist, or I don't know, um, a doctor. I never thought I'd go back to medicine. When you work with um, with with a company like Ballet Frankfurt, it's it's a massive, beautiful, crazy, scary, dynamic circus, um, and it you're dancing in a show choreographed by William Forsyth in set designed by Leapskind, music by Tom Willems, costumes by Versace. I mean to audiences of thousands that is a very compelling contract mm. and a very compelling and exciting experience so when you step off that circus and that circus moves off without you it, you're kind of bereft so when, when I stepped away from, from, um, from Ballet Frankfurt and I thought should I go back to Europe to, 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 to go back to you know, running, my, running No Apology or shall I completely flip it open. I was already an assistant scuba diver instructor. I came to Australia because that's where I felt the most home. I came to Sydney. I said, look, how do I become an instructor? Because I was an assistant. They said, you can do it 21 days in Sydney Harbour or you can do it for nine months in Vanuatu or a year and a half in the Solomons. The Solomons was then undergoing a political coup and and really bad outbreak of cerebral malaria. And so I went, give me the nine-month contract in Vanuatu. So I went fringe. I mean, I went from Ballet Frankfurt to fringe. I think I just needed to do that. I needed to go right onto the other side of the other side of the coin. But then, what a great performance, you know, of nature <laughs> experience. Living living in Santo, right up in the north, there's like nine white people, and all you're dealing with is a lot of, and it's hardcore diving. Like yeah. you're diving, it's, it's it's technical diving. So um, yeah, I, I thought let's let's look at that as a possible career option. And so I was there for nearly a year. And I taught in schools, I taught my little hand in dances, I taught dance to, and rugby to a lot of the schools. Um, and it was great, it was brilliant. And I was scuba diving and teaching a lot. And it was brilliant. So that was the one time when I really went, okay, let's, let's stick my nose into that. I did it for a year, I went back to Amsterdam, and then just about that time I could sense the big, that was to head into the GFC, the global yes. So it was we were just about to hit that. Everyone went through that. I saw doors closing in Holland. I hadn't spent enough time in Holland to set up um, any kind of um, uh, sustainable, really a sustainable career. And so I went, I need to find a home. And then I'd just fallen in love um, mm-hmm. with, um, with Hans. And then we decided to come to Australia. I was in Queensland first. We were both on a temporary visa. I did contract work. And then Strut came up and I thought, oh, there's an opportunity for to, 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 to at least step into leadership and see if, if I have the capacity and the skill set to do it. I certainly had the, the passion and the artistic network from Europe, America, Middle East, and blah, blah, blah. So I brought my worldliness to, to Perth, but they very cleverly saw that I had all that in my, in, in, in my back pocket, but I didn't have the, the, the language 
you know, the business language. So as I said, they, the department was brilliant. They paid Jude Morehouse advertisement to come and sit next to me and teach me how to, you know, how, how, to, how to do it all. Huh. Was that any, anywhere? Yes, your yes, question? yes. I guess when did I, want to, when, when, when did I question my career? It was then that I questioned it deeply, deeply. And it actually, it wasn't my art that pulled me back. I'll be really honest with you. It wasn't my art that pulled me out, out of Vanuatu. It was my sexuality. Mm. had no way to express the fact that I was gay. It's a very difficult culture. You, can, you cannot. So I had to pack away a lot of, uh, a lot of myself. And um, not, that I, I, not that I express it through my work or, or through my position or my relationship to society, but it's, at, it is who I am. Yeah. You know, I'm not fighting that fight, but it is who I am. And I, had to, I, felt, I felt that internal friction and I was like, I can't do this. So it's actually a, a, a more core thing that, that pulled me out of that, pulled me out of that, brought me back to Europe. And then I went, now Europe's, it's all shifting. I haven't done my homework here in Europe. I always wanted to live in Australia. I had made that contract with myself, so I jumped. I jumped with my husband. Well, Paul, I have to say that this the chapter is now closing. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. This, no, chapter, this particular chapter. This particular closing. chapter. Ah, I'll see you in the Andrew Morris workshop. Plug. Um, <laughs> I'll see you in the Andrew Morris workshop. <laughs> well, before we go to sign off, Hi. I've got this last question, and I'm really, I'll, I'll ask it. So. Sure. Paul, now we somewhat agreed, and I will be knocking on your door at this time. But mm. in the year twenty twenty seven, when we meet again, yeah. with another reiteration of yeah. this podcast ten yeah. years later, yeah. Paul, what would you like to plug? Um, uh, the festival that I'm directing. That is the path that I would love to travel down. There's something about the alchemy of getting great art great producers, great innovators, great technicians, getting that cohort of, of, of artists and managers and around the table getting a, a really brilliant, exciting, sexy idea up and running, getting it financed. People think you're crazy to do it. And then it gets done. You know, I saw it with One Flat Thing reproduced. I saw it and I went, now that really gets me excited on every level. So... And somehow I, you know, I seem to have been able to do it. But it's not just me. It's your, whole, it's your whole staff and the artists and the crew. But somehow I managed to galvanize it and be the, the alchemist to set it on fire. And if I extrapolate that up towards its, its most natural artistic kind of uh, expression, would be a festival director. So mm-hmm. um, I think certainly by... 2027 I hope I'd be there <laughs> check this space check this podcast so I'll be plugging I'll be plugging that festival wherever that may, may land well Paul thank you very much oh my pleasure Ryan